welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we are coming to you uh, on a Thursday slash Friday. Don't know exactly when you're listening to this, uh, whether that's uh, early Friday morning or late Thursday night. But regardless, this is this is different, Joe. We're we're coming in with a, a weekend preview type podcast this year, and, and this is the the first one of those. If you don't count what we did last week with Tim Corbin, which was uh, kind of a special case doing that live from Phoenix. This is, uh, this is kind of our first like regular season Thursday podcast, and, and we're excited to, to be able to, to bring you some more podcast content. Some, it, it'll give us more of an opportunity to look forward instead of just reflecting on results and to talk about uh, some bigger picture things around the game. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it'll give us an opportunity to kind of not, it'll, I think it'll serve two purposes. It's going to give us an opportunity to, in a more concentrated way, preview the week. And I think it also allows us to focus a little bit on our Monday podcast, focus that conversation a little more around just kind of reflecting versus what, you know, what we've been doing before, which is kind of trying to have two different conversations, reflecting and looking forward. So I think it, for you, the listener, I think maybe it's a little more, gives a little more focus to the conversations we're going to have, which I think is good. So yeah, I'm excited about it, uh, ready to get into it. Uh, certainly uh, a great weekend, first weekend we talked about that uh, with our podcast um, on Sunday night. So uh, here's hoping that week two lives up to it. Yeah, now having said all of that, like we are still kind of trying to find a format, trying to figure out the best way to do this. So things are a little fluid right now uh, in terms of formats and, and everything. So what we are doing here this week might not be reflective of what we're doing with this uh, this particular part of the podcast in, in April or, or March even. Um, so if you have things that you would like to see us, us talk about on the, the Thursday podcast, specifically ways you, you, uh, you, you think would be cool for us to go, let us know. Drop us a line. I am on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. You can also feel free to leave it in the comment section of iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate us, review us. We, we love uh, hearing the feedback there, and uh, it does help other people to find the podcast. And with us going twice a week, you can make sure to be subscribed to the Baseball America College podcast on your favorite podcasting app, and then you don't have to wonder, is that going up on Thursday night? Is it going up Friday morning? While we're trying to figure out when it's best for us to record, like, it might move around in the day or calendar a little bit slightly here. Uh, so if you're subscribed, you don't have to worry about that. It's just going to show up on your phone, on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you're listening, we're, we're probably there. So uh, make sure to, to take care of those things. And, and with that housekeeping, Joe, I think, we're, I think we're ready to get into this. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so the, the headlining item on this weekend's college baseball schedule is Florida traveling to Coral Gables to play Miami in the Baseball America Top 25. Florida is ranked number two. Miami is ranked number three. This is one of college baseball's best rivalries on an annual basis, but that ranking uh, gives this weekend a, a little, little bigger edge. Joe, I have a piece of trivia for you Ooh, okay. uh, to steal trivia time from, from our friends at, at the CBS Ion uh, College Basketball Podcast. Yeah, shout out to Terry Teagle. Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish, who we're not actually friends with, uh, but we, we both listen. Um, trivia time. When 
was the last time that Florida and Miami met for a regular season series with both teams ranked in the top three of the Baseball America Top 25. Okay, so let's talk this out. It's um, a good question, and I... Um, so... That's tough. I mean, because Florida wasn't necessarily a blue blood until recently. Right. Um, they kind of were a little more inconsistent before yeah, that. Prior so to like, Kevin O'Sullivan, you could, like, they certainly would pop into the top five, but it was not an annual thing. Okay. So, yeah. So it's probably not like in the, the years that I would immediately think of, which would be like 99, 2000, 01. Um, 98 was a special year for Florida. I'll tell you it wasn't 98 since you're eliminating that general okay. time, but that's like Florida's like big year prior to, prior to Sully. Uh, and I, it was close that year, but they, I think they exceeded expectations just looking based on, on what the preseason poll was. Um, so it wasn't 98, which is the big year for Florida. And then obviously Miami wins those titles at the end of the century. Okay, so I'm actually going to go older then, because I feel like this trivia time would be a little more notable if it's older, and newer, we're talking, you know, less than 15, 15 or, or so years ago or less. So I'm going to say 1993. Ah, it was 92. Very close. Oh, okay. That, that's not a bad guess then. Okay. And in 1992, uh, they met February 22 and 23. Back then, they were actually doing home and homes on, like, consecutive weekends or close to consecutive weekends. They would play two games. Oh in Gainesville and two games in, in Coral Gables. And so the first of those meetings in 92 was February 22 and 23. Um, it happened in Gainesville. Miami was number one, Florida was number three. Florida swept it and moved up to number one as a result. That ranking was short-lived. They took a week off uh, and then met back in Coral Gables and Miami swept that series and knocked Florida out of the top spot. So that, hmm. that's your as your history lesson, but it, yeah. it's been, it, you know, almost 30 years since there's been a Florida-Miami regular season series that, that has had as much buzz, uh, or at least as, uh, the, the teams have been as highly ranked as they are this year. Yeah, and it's interesting that you, um, well, first of all, that's just interesting in general, because I also thought there was a chance that it wasn't that long ago. I was kind of gaming the, on the trivia question. I was kind of gaming the system a little bit, knowing you probably wouldn't ask me if it was that recent. But, you know, that is notable because, like, you could see a scenario where, I don't know, Miami was in Omaha two years in a row and I think, what was it, 14, 15 or 15, 16? 15, 16. 15, 16. So, and Florida was very good at that time. So, like, you could see a scenario where it was one of those years, too. So, yeah, I mean, just taking a step back, that is, and, and by no fault of Michigan, because they are playing a good series, too, with UConn, but there's, there's a chance that they end up getting jumped um, just based on this result because this so clearly is the marquee series of this weekend. It's two teams that, that we feel really strongly about and two teams that are knocking on the door. Two teams that we, you know, um, you know, we, we obviously didn't put them at number one, but two teams that were kind of a part of that discussion, more Florida than Miami, of course. But um, so, yeah, fun series, uh, historic in terms of how, you know, good these teams are, at least in terms of the ranking. This rivalry always has a lot of juice in it even in years when it looks like a little bit of a mismatch, which there haven't been that many years where one team's been so much better than the other. But, um, you know, there's always a little bit of edge in this rivalry, always a little bit of juice. But I think this year, um, especially with it being in Coral Gables, where they've got engaged fans down in Coral Gables, they're going to pack that place out. Um, I think it's going to make it even better. Yeah, not only are the Miami fans engaged, because Florida fans certainly are as well, the, the thing is that Miami really wants to beat Florida. And Florida really wants to beat Miami, but when you haven't won a series in a while, that like really 
ratchets things up, I think, when, when you're clearly behind in a rivalry and Miami having lost five of these in a row is, you know, they're, they're clamoring to, to go beat Florida after five really tough series losses, basically, and, and watching Florida win a national title. I, the, the fans down uh, in Coral Gables are going to be very excited to go. They're going to have the light filled up. Miami announced on Thursday that all three games are sold out already. So it's going to be a very, very good atmosphere down there. And, you know, they have a very real chance to, to break this, this series losing streak against the Gators. It's hard to win on the road in this series. Um, and Miami has a really, really talented team. Now, they're missing shortstop Freddie Zamora. He's out for the year. He tore, uh, tore a ligament in his knee last week before opening day, and, and that's going to cost him the whole season, which is unfortunate um, you know, for him, for the Canes, for, for everyone. Uh, but they didn't miss a beat against Rutgers. They, they swept that series. Then they beat Kent State on Wednesday. And, and so they're coming in undefeated. Florida's coming in undefeated, having swept Marshall at home, and then a home-and-home home against Jacksonville in the midweek. I expect this series to be really well-pitched. You got Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich for Florida. You got Brian Van Bell and Chris McMahon and Slade Jaconi for, for Miami. All of those guys are off to, to really good starts. And you know, the, offensively, the, the two teams are doing pretty well. And, and I, their offensive stars, Judd Fabian, um, Adrian Del Castillo, Alex Terrell, uh, you know, Jacob Young. I mean, the, there, it's going to be a star-studded affair, and, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. It's, it's the first big test for both teams, obviously. Um, and, and for Miami, it, especially it being at home, I, I think maybe it means a little bit more than, than for Florida. But Florida trying to show that they're back after last season's dip, th- this is really their first opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, I, you know, there's something about one thing that just to kind of in general about the series, we talked, I can't remember when it was, I guess, I think this was on a podcast, but sometimes the conversations we have on the podcast versus just in the office are kind of run together. But um, you know, Miami's one of the places that um, plays their Saturday night games um, as opposed to Saturday afternoon games, which is kind of the, the, the typical thing in college baseball. And there is something to those Saturday night games at Mark Light. Um, I don't know that that helps or hurts or what it, you know, but I, I think that's going to be a, di- it's a different type of crowd. There's a reason why Friday nights in college baseball are what they are. Most of it is because of the pitching. But beyond that, there's just something about a night game and a night crowd. And I think a Saturday night crowd um, is going to be particularly electric. But, um, you know, I'm curious about, um, you know, kind of the Miami offense against uh, guys like Mason Leftwich because Mason Leftwich do have something to prove kind of about their ability to win games in this type of atmosphere against this type of competition. I don't, there's no doubting the talent level, but there is a little bit, at least at this point, doubting like, can these guys be dudes at the front of the rotation? They were solid last year. They had their moments last year. Now Florida is looking for them to kind of be that next one-two punch that we've seen so often at Florida. And I think this is the type of challenge that if they're going to be those guys, this is the time for them to step up. And Miami's got the bats, like you mentioned, that you can they can really bury a team. Now, whether or not they, they will is a whole other deal. But um, So that's kind of a matchup I'm looking for because I think it can go one of two ways. I think this could be a coming out party uh, for Florida's pitchers, not just Mason Lefwich, by the way. I mean, they've got obviously a lot of talented freshmen and guys like uh, other guys like that. But um, I think So I think it could be a coming out party on that side. I think on the other side, it could be 
um, you know, it could be an opportunity for Miami to to, um, to feast a little bit and be able to get the offense going early on if it, if it proves that those two guys maybe aren't at that level, at least not on this weekend. So that's kind of the, the, the matchup that I look for and kind of uh, came to mind for me when I started to think about how I see this, this series playing out. One thing that has been consistent during Kevin O'Sullivan's tenure at Florida, which is now into, I think it's 13th season, Florida's pitching is so far ahead of most of their rivals that they just suffocate teams. And that's been very much true in the in-state series, both against Florida State and against Miami. And I think you're starting to see those two schools change their philosophies, um, that they're trying to become a little more pitching, that especially you know, Florida State has been very much of a kind of an offensive power over the years, that's been pretty true for, for Miami. Miami has, you know, maybe historically had more soft tossing, good college, good control pitchers, whereas Florida's running out there with big time pro arms and big time velocity. And I think you're starting to see those two schools kind of try and transition to, you know, they, they see the success Florida's having, not only against them, but, you know, the, national title, consistent Omaha team, et cetera. And, and I think they're trying to, trying to find a way to emulate that. And this Miami team is kind of maybe the first one that I really feel like is, if not on Florida's level on the mound, is certainly capable of being at that level. Brian Van Bell is more of the typical Miami control change up, kind of like that archetype. But McMahon and Ciccone are big, big arms that have big stuff that theoretically can match up uh, pretty well with those guys just in terms of stuff and, and then also be pretty high draft picks if everything comes together for them. So I'm very interested to see how all of that comes together, to see if facing guys like that during fall ball and, and inter squads has helped Miami's hitters because you know, Florida's pitching can be really, really dominant. And, you know, some of Miami's hitters, you know, I'm look, looking at Alex Terrell, like the out-of-conference numbers last year looked a lot different than the in-conference numbers. And, um, you know, so how are they going to handle, uh, you know, Florida's pitching staff is, is, uh, is something that I, I'm very interested to see. I guess I have a lot of trust in what Mason Leftwich can do, but you're right, they do have something to prove after last season when they were a little, um, you know, they, they didn't have quite the success that they would have liked to have, and that was part of the reason why Florida was down relative to, to where it had been, is that those guys were, were still trying to find themselves. And now as juniors, they really have a chance to, to really take a big step forward and, and to be the kind of rotation that we expect typically from Florida, and I think that, that has to start this weekend. You know, when I look at the stat sheet for Miami, um, and it's important to kind of it's important to note that yes, they handled Rutgers, and that's what we expected. But like, if there's one thing Rutgers can do, it's pitch a little bit, not at an elite ACC or SEC level. Clearly, however, they do have some some legitimate guys there, and and Miami handled them really well. And I'm not just talking about. I mean, Adrian Del Castillo had a great weekend and has continued that um, in in the midweek against Kent State, but. I don't, I don't mean just him. I'm looking at guys like Tony Jenkins, a guy who's been like a defense over offense outfielder and who in the preseason, you know, I talked to Gino Damari and he said like he's going to be a big key for us. He needs to be a catalyst. And, 
you know, he's six for 12. And Gabe Rivera, who might have the, you know, most power, raw power of anybody on the team, I guess he and Terrell would be in that same conversation. He's hitting 462. Anthony Villar, who's playing shortstop for um, Freddie Zamora, is hitting 400. So um, those are the kind of guys, though, Rivera and, and Jenkins specifically, because they were guys that were really up and down last year. Those are the types of guys that, if they're more consistent, it really kind of raises the ceiling for what this Miami offense can do. And another guy to watch is Tyler Page. He's the guy who's kind of filling in. Obviously, Villar slides over to shortstop. He's the guy who's getting time at second base, and um, he's struggled so far. So that's kind of where you end up feeling the Zamora uh, injury is at the back of the lineup with a guy like a Tyler Page. So that's that's another thing to watch there. But um, So this, this is, for, in the same way that it's an opportunity for Florida's pitchers, opportunity for Miami's offense to really announce that um, we've got the quality depth this year uh, that we're not going to have any soft spots in our lineup. Yeah, I think that's probably where this series comes down to is on the Florida Florida's arms versus Miami's bats. I trust Florida's hitting to to be able to to hold its own. I think both defenses have been pretty solid so far. We'll see uh, what Miami's looks like going forward. That not only is the Zamora question there the as you've noted before, Joe, the, there are some questions about is Del Castillo going to stay behind the plate or does he go back to the outfield? What, what exactly does, does that look like in, going forward? But, you know, if the, the Miami hitters can, can have that breakout weekend or, or if the, the Florida pitchers can, can handle them, I, to me that's where the, this, this rests. Because, you know, last season's Florida rotation included Mason Leftwich and they still won that series in Gainesville. Uh, now, it was at home. It wasn't McKeithen, but you know they've already kind of proven that, that that is a series they can win with those two guys on the mound leading the way. So I, I think it's kind of now on Miami and their hitters to step up and say, at Mark Light, we can handle this pitching, and we're ready to, to face elite SEC pitching, and we're ready to beat elite SEC pitching. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right, and I I you know it's it's. Um... I'm going to be jealous of everyone who's there for the series, certainly, because it's not. There's something about. I mean, it's two versus three in our in our rankings. Obviously, that on its face, you know, sign me up anytime. But it's it's the fact that it's two versus three. It's Miami and Florida, which for for my money, I'm sure there's another out there, and maybe we'll, somebody will hit us with it on Twitter. But for me, it's kind of one of the the rivalries that runs hottest. And, and Clemson and South Carolina fans are like one. rushing. Yeah, that's right. To yeah. to find it's at Joe Healy BA. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you can send that to me. But yeah, certainly Clemson I Clemson South Carolina is is definitely in that mix. I think just on a side note, I think what speaks to that rivalry too is that you know the the you know the last couple of years neither South Carolina nor Clemson has really necessarily been at the level that their their fans would have hoped for them to be at. Neither of them has, has challenged to get to Omaha, for example, and yet that rivalry still runs pretty hot. So that is a good indicator there. But but certainly Florida-Miami also in that discussion. So you combine the fact that it's two versus three. It's this particular rivalry. Um, it's also in a weekend when, you know, uh, maybe we'll touch on this a little later, but it's, it's also on a weekend where it is the clear, you know, uh, highlight item out there. It would be in any week. Two versus three is going gonna, is gonna to be the series to watch in any given weekend. But also in this weekend where there's not like an MLB 4 type tournament, there's not a Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic, like it is the clear showcase of college baseball uh, this weekend. Yeah, we might as well get to that now. Um, We're not making picks. I've refused to do that, Joe. So we're, we're not, I am, and I am fine with it. We're, we're not. We're not going to select a winner in, in Florida, Miami. We'll we'll be back here to talk about that on Monday. Whatever uh, whatever does happen happens. 
But yeah, th this weekend, that's the headlining thing. There is one other series between top 25 teams. It's Dallas Baptist visiting North Carolina. That's number 23 DBU at number 19 UNC. So a little, little different dynamic than two versus three, but it, it's, the, it, it's the only other one. Um, you have some fun intersectional uh, you know, series. You've got Ohio State going to Georgia Tech, which very nearly was a top 25 series. Uh, except that we had to make room for Ole Miss and, and Ohio State after losing on opening day to, to St. Joe's was the, the one that got the boot there. Um, you have Oregon State going to Mississippi State, which if it had happened in the last couple of years would have been like a top 10 showdown, but instead this year Oregon State's not ranked. And um, you, you have Michigan as the number one team hosting uh, Connecticut, in Florida, in, at Port St. Lucie at the Mets complex. So you have some of these nice out of, you know, teams going out of their, their normal region to play what could be marquee series, but none of them have numbers next to their names. So it, you know, in week two, it, it does settle down a little bit. Week one, the, there are a lot of teams that challenge themselves with series and um, week, week two, it, this year at least, is a little slower. Week three, as always, looks like the banner weekend of non-conference play. But this weekend, uh, Joe, beyond that, that Miami-Florida series, of, of any of the things I mentioned or, or anything else on the schedule, what, what kind of pops for you? Dallas Baptist, North Carolina stands out, and, and not just because it's, it's local for us. Obviously, there's, <laughs> there's that uh, aspect as well. But I think it's interesting... Uh, from the DBU side because it'll give us a good look at just how good on, on the spectrum of Dallas Baptist teams because I think we know they're good. It's just a matter of to what degree. And we've talked about the possibility that this could be the type of DBU team that ends up hosting at the end of the year. And so two things. One is that if they're going to be that type of team, like we'll, we'll get a good barometer for that by how they play against North Carolina. But on the They also almost need that series because – you look at the rest of the schedule and, you know, after this, they're, they have Arkansas State at home and Oral Roberts and at Houston and home against Tulane and Grambling at home. And that, that's their, that's their non-conference. And most of that is solid, but it's not necessarily needle moving. Right. And so that was actually, that, that's my second point there is that like they, they, they very, they very much need to get at least a game. Um, they can because it's on the road. Um, getting a game probably is a, is a nice positive outcome there. Getting two certainly would be very very helpful. Um, three is a sweep is probably wishful thinking. But you know, getting they need to get at least a game here um, if they're going to have designs on that. And I'm sure Dan Hefner would tell you that's really not what they're focused on. And I, and I believe that of course. But for our perspective, if we're looking at Dallas Baptist to be a team that kind of upsets that power structure and ends up hosting this is the type of series where they have to make a statement so that that's the one that stands out most to me because i think so early in the season it's just really hard to know what the implications are just using mississippi state and oregon state as an example like we, we think we know what we have in mississippi state but oregon state might not be in a regional but they might and we don't really know so we don't even no matter who wins that series this weekend we're not going to know exactly what to do with that Whereas with Dallas Baptist, we feel like we know what we have and we know what they're going to be in Missouri Valley Conference play. It's just a matter of figuring out where on the typical Dallas Baptist scale this, te this particular team is. And this weekend will give us, I think, a pretty clear view of that. Yeah, I think that's a huge series for DBU. 
Um, they all their non-conference schedule has also not got off to a very good start uh, in, in terms of the for the teams they're playing. Uh, DBU's four zero, but Oral Roberts coming up. Well, they went two and two against Merrimack, which was playing Division two baseball last year. So that's that's not great. Uh, uh, if that's a barometer, Houston lost a home series to Youngstown State, so that that series might not be what you thought it was going to be. Tulane started fine, um, you know, so that that one still is looking pretty good. But as did UNC, but they really kind of need this one. I, I would say they they need to find a way to to win at least one game, and and if they can win two, I, I think that you know it would be very much behoove them as they chase hosting. But just it's going to be a very nice challenge for them out of the gate. Jimmy Glowinky, um, their, their star shortstop, who right now is not playing shortstop because uh, of, of a shoulder procedure he had during the offseason. They're hopeful he can get back to playing the field later in the spring. But he didn't play at all last weekend. He did make his debut uh, against Arlington on Tuesday. So hopefully he's good to go because they're going to need him against a UNC team that looks like they should be pretty good on the mound. They run pretty deep and, you know, played well enough uh, in their opening weekend uh, sweep. So it, that, that one is an, an intriguing series uh, and not just because of the numbers next to the name. Because, you know, from UNC's perspective, there's a lot new there and this is their, their marquee non-conference thing as well. So what they do leading from this into ACC play in a couple weeks is pretty significant. Uh, they do next week go up to Minnesota to play in the, the Gophers ACC Big Ten Challenge Tournament. But this one, getting it at home in the Bosch, they need to come out and, and get what should be a pretty strong series win if they can get it. One other, one thing you, di- you didn't mention in that list that it's, we, we've talked about this before. This is not about not dropping something on you that we haven't already discussed in, in another avenue, but is that the Round Rock tournament taking place, which is an offshoot of the Frisco tournament. It's the same organization putting that on. And it's a tournament that, um, you know, some of the teams that are involved in are a little bit down from the, where they were last year with, you look at Stanford being, it appears being a step back from where they were last year. And, and Tennessee, uh, certainly with Garrett Crochet on the shelf right now, certainly looks like they're a step back from where they were I guess technically speaking, maybe Texas Tech is a step back from where they were. Although that's more of like a like a half step, you know. Um, so that's hard to say yet. But that tournament is interesting because three of the four teams I feel like are really in a position where they need to play well this weekend. It's Houston coming off, like you mentioned, a series loss to Youngstown State. Uh, Stanford coming off a series loss to Fullerton, which is a little you know a little more defensible certainly. It was but, at home though, but which it, yeah, which right. I mean yes certainly it's there's nothing to be ashamed of, but also they lost a home series to start the year and now have to go on the road and, and play in this uh, somewhat challenging tournament. So that they need to bounce back. And then you've got Tennessee, of course, with with Crochet on the shelf at least for now. They need to prepare for a future that might not include Garrett Crochet this season. Now there's been no word, definitive word on that. But you know how these injuries go sometimes. They start off as a, as a little thing here and there, and they, they, you know, they turn into missing significant time, and we don't know that. But, so, but we do know he's on the shelf at least to this point, and so that limits them a little bit as it is. And then they might have to you know, go into SEC play without him. That's just going to be tough because we've talked about the level of pitching the SEC is putting out there. 
uh, week after week. And so you're going to have to be prepared to at least go toe to toe with somebody on Fridays. Crochet could have been that guy and, and now maybe he's not. So if they can b build themselves a little bit of rope here uh, by doing some things in non-conference, I think it's going to serve them well, um, at least in terms of resume building. So, and of course, Texas Tech just you know, this is going to be the first time really challenging themselves at all. They played that the home tournament against Northern Colorado and Houston Baptist. Hard to glean much from that. So um, for them, it's just going to be more about kind of establishing who they are. I'm always interested in Texas Tech when they go on the road. Uh, they just play a lot better in Lubbock than they typically do on the road. So I'm interested to see if that's the case again this, again this season. But to me, the most interesting team in that tournament is Houston because I no longer have any idea what to make of the Cougars after they lost to Youngstown State. And I don't want to go too crazy on what happened on opening weekend, but Houston lost to, to Youngstown State, a team that is now two and one for the first time basically since the turn of the 21st century. So I, I believe it was 2001 was the last time Youngstown State was two and one. That was bad and the way it happened was a way where you could kind of explain it away and say, well, just a few more outs and, and they're 3-0, and but they they lost twice in extra innings, and you know they seemed to pitch okay for the most part, but offensively they they weren't necessarily where, where they need to be, um, and, and that, that's something that they're going to need to turn around because the arms they're going to face this weekend are going to be a lot better than what they saw last week. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I mean, you're right. I mean, a couple outs here and there, and it's a different different result. But even if that were the case, like I think there would be, um, there would be you could see the cracks here. I mean, they hit 150 as a team opening weekend, Jeez. 15 for <laughs> 15 for 100. Um, you know, against Youngtown State pitchers that you know probably don't have a lot of reps. You I mean, know, I think Youngstown out. State's ERA last year was like eight. Yeah, so I mean, and, and even even just beyond that, I mean, Youngstown State is not a team that's getting a lot of outdoor practice time. I mean, their pitchers have been throwing, you know, a lot indoors and in flat ground and stuff like that. And so it's, um, you, you know, you would expect that if anything, you know, that the pitching might have been a little bit behind for Houston because Houston would have an opportunity to score runs against against the Penguins. Um, but you know, 15 for 100 is that's going to be tough to pull off wins against anybody. Uh, hitting with that type of batting average. Good weekend for Ryan Hernandez. Juco transfer, hit 385, couple home runs. So, um, you know, they, they did have a, a highlight in the way he played. And, and you're right, they pitched well. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they just need to show well this weekend um, to, to kind of maybe show that they put that behind them and, and maybe show what they're capable of because certainly uh, week one was not, uh, not the way they wanted to get things started. Yeah, and you just then worry about them digging themselves a hole because... You know, the following week they get Texas State at home, which is a totally solid team, and then they travel to Arizona, and then they have DBU back at home, and then they start conference play. So, it, it, if this snowballs like that, that that could really you know continue on. And then the other thing is that they didn't play a midweek game, so that there's they've had that has its positives and negatives. It has you know okay. You spent all week practicing what went wrong, but it also means that you weren't able to get the, that taste out of your mouth with, with a, uh, a midweek game that you know, maybe you win, maybe you lose, whatever, but you're able to move on from the weekend. You've, you've had nothing to do but think about um, blowing those two leads on Saturday and Sunday and dropping the series. I mean, that would be Houston playing to type with, with a, a slow start. I mean, that's kind of, at this point, the way things have gone. It seems like even... In, in recent years when they've gotten into the tournament, it's kind of been a mad dash to get in. I mean, last year they, they fell a little bit short of that. 
um, you know, they, they just didn't play well in the, the American tournament. So, um, so yeah, that would, that would certainly getting off to a little bit of a slow start and with a, with a tougher non-conference, you know, plus there are, I mean, they are, you are in a little bit of a hole. Um, that's just going to be, um, you know, that, that would just kind of be playing to what they've, what they've done the last few seasons. And, and let's not forget the fact that like, obviously it seems fairly clear at this point to assume that Youngstown State is better. Previous iterations of Youngstown State probably don't win that series under any circumstances. So with that being said though, even the best Horizon teams, Wright State and Illinois Chicago, struggle to get RPIs in the top 100 in their best years. Wright State has, has pushed Yeah, Wright a State's bit. found a way to do that, but yeah, no one besides those two teams get in the top 100. Yeah, and so, I mean, these losses are going to be a little bit of an anchor moving forward. They were at home, and they're, they're, they're to a team that's most likely going to be outside the top 150 in RPI, barring, you know, some sort of turnaround for the, just that would be unprecedented level of success that we've seen for them recently. So um, it, it was just a tough weekend. But they, the thing about it is, you know, with this weekend, if they, you know, win two out of three or, or win all three games out in Round Rock, it would, it would offset that at least to a certain degree. So they do have the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing, um, since we're talking about teams that have gone off to a stumbling starts a little bit here that we want to, I want to touch on is, is Louisville is now one in three after losing to Wright State, uh, that, the Raider gain, as, as they are on Twitter, uh, 10 to two, 10 to three uh, on, on Wednesday night in Louisville. Joe, we don't want to overreact here to, to what the, what's happening with the Cardinals. They, they went out and they lost a series at Ole Miss. It was a very close series. They, they could have won that series. And now they've, they've lost a midweek game. Yes, it was, it, it was at home, but you know, Wright State won the Horizon League last year pretty consistently as a, a top 100 type team at this point. But at the same time, Louisville is now one in three. And is there any cause for concern beyond the fact that Benellis and Lucas Dunn, like we talked about, are, are out? Yeah, I think a little bit um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I mean, they made three errors in the midweek game. Um, you know, that's, so that's certainly, that, that's the type of thing that, um, you know, you know, really good teams aren't really, you know, kicking the ball around in midweek games against uh, lesser, even good lesser competition, which Wright State is a, a good opponent. Uh, nobody's going to dispute that. So that is a little concerning that, that you know, they, they booted the ball around to that level. The other thing is that's concerning, just using this midweek game, viewing it through that lens, is that one of the questions we had about Louisville coming in, and I think we were, we were quick to, and rightfully so, by the way, we were quick to kind of just say, like, oh, they'll kind of get that figured out is, is bullpen rolls and what they're doing out there. And I actually caught a little bit of this game yesterday afternoon, and, um, you know, Jared Poland went out there and got scored on. And, you know, Kerry Wright came in a little bit later, and, and now these were unearned runs, but, but got scored on. Um, and so it really does kind of feel like, and, and they used a ton of guys Tuesday trying to figure it out. And they got down from the start. Wright State scored twice in the top of the first. Right, exactly, yeah. So it, it still just feels like that is very much a work in progress. And against Ole Miss is one thing. Um, but, you know, Wright State is a step back from that. And, and um, so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of concern, sure, because it, there's just college baseball seasons are short. I know there's the cliche, oh, it's a long season. But in college baseball, like, uh-uh. You know, you don't have that long to kind of figure things out. Certainly not in a major conference where you're going to get thrown in the deep end real fast, especially in the ACC where week four you are in conference play. Playing so, Wake Forest on the road. Right, and boy, if you don't have your bullpen figured out when you get, you know, play Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, uh, you could be in for a world of hurt. So, um, you know, it, it, I'm still a believer in this group. Um, you know, I picked them to win the national title, so I can't jump now. <laughs> um, 
but I'm concerned to the degree that like maybe they're just, you know, maybe they're not exactly what we thought they were. The injuries aren't helping, but it was uncharacteristic to see them play sloppy baseball. Um, and then the bullpen thing, they're, they're just, it feels like they're still kind of working out some kinks. And they'll have time to, to do so, but um, that's not necessarily what I was expecting. Now, I would expect them to bounce back nicely over the next two weeks. They play Valpo this weekend and then Western Michigan uh, with a midweek against Savior in between, which will be tricky. Um, they're, they're pretty similar to Wright State in a lot of ways, just in terms of what they have done as a program. So those next two weekends, though, should, should get Louisville back on, uh, on a good track, but they're, they're going to need to do it. Like we said, Wake Forest is coming up in less than a month here. And then you're just into ACC play, and the the opportunities for the margin for error is just much lesser at that point, and um, you, you kind of have to just go. Now, the one overarching thing about this, though, is if any team in the country goes one and three in any six-day period, I'm I'm not going to worry too much about it. The fact that this is happening to Louisville uh, at the outset of the season, where they were ranked number two in the country, like magnifies it and that that means more people are looking at it that means we're talking about it all the rest of that but if they do this two months from now it probably isn't that big of a deal but having said that I mean that can play with players heads that oh we're one and three now what's wrong and, and then you start pressing and, and and then it snowballs so it's really on Dan McDonald and his coaching staff to make sure that the Cardinals don't fall into that. And that's why this weekend against Valpo is so important that they go out, get three wins, and you know take care of business so that everyone from a mental standpoint can just take a breath and say, okay, we are, we are who we are, and now let's go. Yeah, I would suspect we're going to see an angry version of Louisville this weekend. Um, you know, and that can be, and I mean that in a positive way. I mean, sometimes you can play out of control. I don't mean that. I just mean I think they're going to be a really focused group this weekend, and poor Valpo is um, catching them at, I would assume, the worst time that one could catch the Louisville Cardinals. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe it would have been worse to catch them in their best year, like when they're really <laughs> hot. But, you know, I mean, you, you know what I'm going for here. And so I, I think that... Um, I think they'll get on track to a certain degree, but I'll be very curious to see. You mentioned pressing, and their lineups aren't in a position where it would be easy to feel like you have to press because you're down a couple guys, and so that, that would be a really easy thing to do. So certainly something to watch for, you know, moving forward, how, how the lineup, um, you know, already down a couple guys ends up performing. One series that I think is going to fly under the radar but shouldn't be is Tulane heading out to Fullerton. Fullerton, we mentioned, beat uh, Stanford to, to open the year. And Tulane you know, is off to a nice 4-0 start. That's a team that, that we think can compete at the, at the top of the American, potentially. That, that, that's the upside of this team anyway, despite the fact they lost Cody Hosey. Um, they're coming off of a sweep of, of Gulf Coast, and then they took care of um, Louisiana Lafayette last night. And now they're headed to Fullerton, and I, the styles. I, I'm very just interested in the styles of play. The, the Fullerton's pitching against Tulane's big bats, what's that going to look like? But you know, the, the other thing that stands out about Fullerton is just the way they've been playing offensively. They, they put up some runs at Stanford, and you know, I know I've said that you know, Stanford's pitching staff might not be you know, as, as dynamic as it's been in the past, but that's still the strength of that team. That's a, a strike-throwing team, a team that you expect to be pretty solid on the mound. And Fullerton was able to, to do a lot of nice things to, to come away with the series win at Sunken Diamond. And so 
Now they get a, a different test in Tulane. Both of these teams really could use this series. Fullerton has started slow several times in the past, going to want to avoid a, a similar start, and, and they're off to a good, good bit of that already just by winning that series against Stanford, but they can really you know, punctuate that if they're able to, to get um, you know, a second series win, especially because they lost to San Diego State in the midweek. And then Tulane is a team that's just kind of trying to build some momentum towards the American uh, you know, portion of their schedule. And, and this is going to be maybe their biggest test of non-conference. They have Long Beach coming to uh, their place, and they go to Dallas Baptist uh, about a month from now in back-to-back weekends. But this one, going out west to play Fullerton, is a, a pretty tricky spot for them. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, you know, they're, I think they're kind of a little bit similar in this way that, you know, we talked about, um, you know, we, we talked about Fullerton. I think it was on the, the Sunday podcast we talked about it was a big series win because their resume has just felt so empty lately where they're, they're really good in the Big West, but the Big West isn't what it has been, at least not of late. So you're not really getting the bump from that. And in their non-conference, they challenged themselves, but they weren't really winning any of those series and how Stanford um, winning that series kind of maybe changes that a little bit. Same thing here. I mean, I think Stanford is, is I, I like Stanford's team more than Tulane's, but Tulane's also a solid opponent. I think that would really kind of help uh, move Fullerton forward. And, and Tulane's kind of the same way where, um, you know, last year they were, they were a solid team, um, but they were never really in the discussion uh, to be in the NCAA tournament. There were a couple of other American teams that were. Tulane never really challenged to get there. Um, so winning this series, I think, would be a, a step in that direction um, for two, a Tulane team that, you know, under Travis Jewett really hasn't had that season where they've really challenged. I mean, it's, it's not even like a bubble miss. They just really haven't been part of that conversation under Jewett yet. And so it feels like this is maybe their opportunity. The talent, the individual talent there is good. I mean, Hudson Haskin in the lineup is, is, is a name to watch. But they've also got a lot of veteran bats like Jonathan Artigues um, who are really, really good. So... Also got off to a good a good start on the mound. Um, Braden Oltoff, a you know junior college transfer, struck struck out ten over the weekend. Um, so it looks like maybe this is a good, well-rounded Tulane team that can challenge to get back into the postseason. And I think for both of these teams, I think we'll have a, a better idea of what they are. And because and, I think we're kind of uh, there are question marks on both sides about what we what we think these teams exactly are. I think this weekend will help. I think the American in general this weekend is very interesting. You know, we've talked now about Houston. We've, we've talked about Tulane. Uh, UConn playing against the number one team in the country. Big opportunity for them. Cincinnati goes to Florida State. Big opportunity for the Bearcats. Georgia Southern is visiting East Carolina after a pretty convincing sweep of Ball State. Uh, so that, that's intriguing to me. And UCF headed to Auburn, and you know the, that's another team that has a chance to really make a statement. So while the top line games might not be the the big time you know stuff that we're looking for, the that really get us hyped up for the, for the weekend, there's some really good, solid, undercard type of matchups that you know, especially if you look at a conference like the American, you know, really has a chance to to make a statement this weekend. Uh, it's still very early in the year, but but it could be, um, you know, a really nice weekend for the conference, or it could be a weekend where we're looking at it and saying, well, you know, how good is the American? And maybe that's unfair to put so much on the second weekend of the season, but when you have so many interesting matchups, that that's kind of what happens sometimes. 
Yeah, we, we came into the season with the American kind of wondering, you know, we, we, we picked East Carolina as the champion and feel confident in that, largely just based on um, consistency of that program and also that they were just so good last year that even taking a step back is still a very good team. And we really kind of, you and I had a, a lengthy debate about who the second best team was out there. And, you know, is it Houston? Is it, is it UConn? And well, some of the talent at UCF is kind of interesting. And, um, you know, Cincinnati obviously has some good individual talents. They were in a regional last year. So you could have gone a lot of different ways. And, and maybe this is the, the weekend where somebody kind of stands up and, and makes us take notice. Because kind of to your point, I mean, I, it, it does feel like it's a little bit of a jumbled mess in the league in, in terms of a lot of a lot of pretty good teams. Um, I'll even throw East Carolina into that. I mean, I guess we probably don't know exactly what East Carolina is just yet. Certainly next weekend, the Keith LeClaire will have a little bit better idea. That's the, the solid field out there. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking for this weekend for someone to jump up and impress us. I could see UConn winning that series against Michigan. That would be very on-brand for UConn to have a tough opening weekend and then come out and make a, a loud statement. That's, that's kind of very much a, a UConn type of thing. Um, you know, you could also see, I mean, Florida State showed some cracks against Niagara, lost that opener. Um, is Cincinnati up to that task? Yeah, it's a pretty heavy lift, but that would certainly be uh, impressive for them. So I could see it in a couple of different places, um, a team kind of grabbing our attention and, and saying that maybe they need to be a part of the conversation about who the best team in the league is. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely be analyzing all of that on, uh, on the Monday podcast. I, I think that, you know, even in a Maybe it's just because it's the second weekend. We're we're looking at some of these series and saying, well, you know, I, what what is this really? But that can lend itself to some some exciting baseball, some upsets potentially, because we don't know what these these teams are fully yet, and so we're we're going to find out a lot more about the teams. And really, frankly, at this time of year, a lot of people are asking me, uh, a lot of people are asking Joe, like, well, what what do you make of of Team X after after opening weekend and in a lot of cases, the answer is, well, um, I don't know. They went out and took care of business. We'll, we'll find out more later. Well, later is coming this weekend. Like, this is another chance to find out about these teams. And a lot of them are, you know, going to challenge themselves in a way that they didn't last week, maybe. And, you know, whether that means going on the road or whether that means taking on a better team at home or just honestly playing four more games we're, we're going to get more information and to me that's the exciting thing about this weekend yeah one of my favorite you mentioned that you know we, we kind of because it's early we're still trying to figure out what to make of these things and uh, we try to it, it's it's hard even though we try not to it's hard to avoid doing the thing where we just react to whatever we saw most recently one of my favorite games to play at the end of the season is to look back at something you know we thought was really impactful and come to find out like no it really wasn't because there will be a series this weekend that we think, like, this Team A has shown us that this is what they're capable of. And, boy, Team B, I just don't know if it's in the cards. And then by the end of the season, it'll be the opposite. I mean, there's a series like that every year. Um, so it's one of, one of my favorite games to play just because it, it goes to show. I mean, that's what makes this sport interesting, any sport, really. It's not just unique to college baseball. But um, that's what makes sports interesting is that we just don't know. And even you and I who spend hours and hours and hours previewing these teams and kind of agonizing over how we're going to rank teams and the pecking order of the conference and things like that. Even you and I are going to be surprised by some of the stuff that happens here. It happens every year. And if, if that wasn't the case, it, the sport just wouldn't be as much fun. And so that's, that's one of the things that uh, ultimately is 
maybe a little bit frustrating in the moment, but is, is good for the sport in general. It definitely would not be as much fun. Fortunately, we, we do have a pretty fun slate of games to, to look at here, and we will be back here on Monday to take a look at the way they all transpired. We'll have a new Baseball America Top 25 then as well. Uh, we'll see how it looks. We got we to gotta shake up last weekend. Maybe we'll get another one this weekend, as we've talked about a couple times. Uh, Michigan's standing at number one is maybe not as, as firm as some other teams' standings at, at number one have been over, over the years. But you know, Michigan has a chance this weekend to cement it. You know, if, if they were to go out and, and be very convincing against UConn, that would, that would change my mind, potentially. Or not change my mind. They, they are the number one team in the country. But, but you know, it, it would look, I would look at them a little differently. That right now we're playing a bit of a resume game with them. And if that is going to continue, then the resume is going to probably flip to one of those teams playing in Coral Gables, that either Miami or Florida is going to end up with a better resume. But if, uh, if, my, if, if Michigan can go out and, and really play very well against UConn, they, uh, they already have a very impressive resume. So we'll, we'll see where the weekend takes us. That is the fun of it, as, as Joe said. So we will be back here on Monday, like I said, and you can check out plenty of stuff at BaseballAmerica.com. Before then, you can check out Joe's Feature on the rise, looking at uh, Grand Canyon, Pepperdine, and Dayton, uh, three teams that had nice opening weekends that, you know, they, uh, they have a chance to make some noise this, this year. So you can check that out over online, or, or you can look at my story looking at Cal Poly, which is a team to watch all season long, and they have a chance to make some noise in regionals if, if they're able to get there. But they're a, a very talented team, and everyone saw that over the weekend at the MLB4 tournament. There's that. There's more uh, over on the website. Check it out. We'll, we'll have more throughout the weekend as well. And then we'll be back here next Monday with a new edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. So until then, I want to thank Joe. I want to thank you all for listening. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll see you on Monday.